Welcome to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Make sure you find the Raptor Show wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe and please rate and review the show. I'm your host, Wim Lou. I'm joined by co-host Blake Murphy. And this is the morning or the afternoon after the Raptors lose 132 to 131 in uh, crypto, crypto arena last night. Uh, Lakers outshoot. The Raptors 23 to 2 in the fourth quarter in terms of free throws and this courtesy of Opta Stats, which honestly I only ever see Opta Stats uh, when it comes to soccer, but uh, they've they've actually extended on this front because it was that egregious. Free throw attempts in the last four minutes in this game: Lakers 19, Raptors 0. That is the largest shutout in free throw attempts over the final four minutes of regulation of any NBA game since November 9th, 2010, when LeBron James and the Miami Heat had a 19 to nothing advantage against the Utah Jazz before losing an overtime, which is actually known as the Sunday out of Gaines game. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Blake Murphy, how you doing, man? I'm, uh, I'm, still, I'm still pretty pissed from last night. I'm not going to lie to you. Man, Paul Millsap had 46 in that game. Yeah, yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Was Ben uh, Taylor also in that game? He probably got third star. Yeah, he was, uh, what was that, 2010? No, but, so this is... I guess I'll start here. Uh, last night went in such a way that I was on Ben Taylor's LinkedIn account, seeing oh. if he had any secondary skills he could go find another career <laughs> after. Like, what did this guy do before he got here? What yeah. is his backup plan? Uh, there's not a, a not a lot there. I don't know what he was doing in 2010. Uh, it was not refing at the NBA level, but he's not refing at an NBA level uh, last night either. So, yeah. Uh, look, man, you know it gets me. It takes a lot for me to get yeah. fired up about the referees. And I thought... Ben Taylor did a pretty poor job managing that game last night. And look, the managing the game management side of things is is tends to be what gets me more upset about officials. Cause like you're gonna miss calls sometimes, whatever. But you let that game go a certain way. You called that game a certain way. And then Basically, once Darko challenged Emmanuel Quigley's fifth foul, you decided that that game was going to be officiated a different way. And it's the same kind of attitude and poor game management that led to Fred Van Vliet blowing up on Ben Taylor last year. He didn't blow up on Ben Taylor because like, hey, I thought this one call should have been an and one and it wasn't an and one. Or I thought this one call where LeBron went to the free throw line was a soft one. It was no, the consistency and what was and wasn't a foul was all over the place. Uh, it was all over the place quarter to quarter. It was all over the place drive to drive, team to team. And that's the sort of thing where, you know, you can, look, they're going to miss calls. But when it's a 23 to 2 free throw disparity or whatever, 19 to nothing in the last four minutes, yes, some of those were intentional fouls, whatever. To me, Ben Taylor had already at that point kind of let the game get away from him a little bit. And, you know, this is... Uh, there's a trend here. He's, he's habitual with this stuff, and it was it's not surprising. Like, we're not supposed to know the referee's name and their tendencies as well, man. Like, he's just, he he has a real history of this stuff. Uh, yeah, so for people unfamiliar with that history, Ben Taylor is the official that Fred Van Vliet went off on after a game last year, and Fred received pretty much league-wide praise. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. because yeah, terrible tonight. <laughs> Way to have that ready. Thank you. Play that 20 times. Yeah. It was terrible tonight. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So that legendary rant, which again, like lots of players and uh, people around the league came out publicly and applauded and back Fred for that. Uh, Another lesser known Ben Taylor versus the Raptors. Earlier this season, when the Raptors were playing the Dallas Mavericks, um, the Raptors won that game. Darko had 
back-to-back challenges in about a span of a minute. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Both correct, as in overturning incorrect calls by Ben Taylor and his crew that night. So uh, those are the three instances now that we have seen uh, Ben Taylor interact. Ben yeah. Taylor was and like, terrible tonight. <laughs> whatever. That that happens. Like the, the, the Raptors won both those challenges, got overturned. Last yeah. night, you know, it didn't play out that way. They, they no. lost the challenge on Quigley's fifth, which I get taking it because it was his fifth. It turned out you really could have used that. Uh, challenge a, a little later um you, you whatever it's it, that is what it is but look to me it's more the case that you know ben taylor pretty consistently consistently around the nba has players lose their cool on him mm. which is you know it's a competitive game and players are going to get fired up sometimes i don't know do you see zach zarba having guys go off on him like that mm. do you see the 25 refs who we don't know and remember their names because they just are background players regularly do you see those guys getting blown up on regularly with post-game comments? Stuff like that? You don't. And and that's like, again, I don't think Darko has the rant that he does after the game if there's one missed call. Yeah, we're going to play that legendary Darko yeah. rant in just a second. But I want to add some context on the Ben Taylor thing. So after Fred went off on him last year, I reached out to somebody who <laughs> is pretty familiar with, with NBA officials. Um And I asked just, like, what's the context here? And it was explained to me, and I said it on the show last year, too, but generally speaking, there's, like, two approaches to officiating. There's the one uh, approach, which is we want to be almost like a social worker. We want to be able to, you know, interact and hear your concerns and try to, like, almost work on it collectively. Obviously, the officials are going to call their calls, but there's going to be, like, a respect two-way process with it. They're there to manage the game. Make sure the game is the game. Yes, That's the approach, and I honestly think that that's the approach that should be the best uh, across the board. The other approach, which is quite common, is when you approach the job like a cop. And the headliner for this is a Scott Foster type. And it was explained to me. Scott Foster, who, by the way, there is like statistically significant data that he has gripes with guys and with teams. Absolutely. Um, Where it's my way or the highway, I don't want to talk to you. And you you look at me the wrong way, I'll eject you from the game, Scotty Barnes, which also took place last year. And from my understanding, Ben Taylor truly admires Scott Foster. So uh, not 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 exactly covering himself in glory. Um, but listen, we can say what we want. Let's hear about what Darko said about Ben Taylor and his sufficient crew last night. Thank you, Doug. That's 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 outrageous. What happened tonight? This is completely BS. This is shame. Shame for the referees, shame for the league to allow this. 23 free throws for them, and we get two free throws in the, in the fourth quarter. Like, how to play the game. I, all, I understand uh, respect for all-stars and all of that, but we have star players on our team as well. How's possible is Scotty Barnes, who is all-star caliber player in this league, he goes every single time to the rim with force and trying to get, get uh, to, to the rim without flopping and, and not trying to get foul calls. He gets two uh, free throws for the whole game. How is that possible? How are you going to explain that, that, that to me? They had to win tonight? If that's, if that's the case, just let us know so we don't show up for the game. Just give them a win. But that, that was not fair tonight. And this is not happening first time for us. Scotty Barnes is going to be all-star. He's going to be the face of this league. And what, what's happening over here during whole season, I've been holding it back. It's a complete crap. Wow. Uh, first off, shouts to Darko because this rant really resonated with me on a deeply cultural level because when my parents got really upset and English was their second language, grammar just went out the window and it just gained and gained in intensity. So 
I, I yeah, I <laughs> part mean, part of me, I'm like mortally like a little bit shook after hearing that. But I mean, to that point, I'm happy Darko went there. I'm thankful if he's heard our early season criticisms of him, he's taken it in stride because uh-huh. I don't want to face that version of Darko. Oh, no, here's the thing: Darko's been super nice and whatever, but you know that he's got that fire, and I think that that's what that showed to me. Obviously, this is something where you know. You you definitely have the organization's backing when you come out like this because you're going to catch a fine and He's, Darko's going to catch some kind of fine. He'll get 25k. Ima yeah. Udoka got and, and Taylor Jenkins both got 25k earlier in the year. It's, it, that's kind of the precedent for your first mm-hmm. one. Yeah. Um, I, I think almost certainly he's going to, especially if there is. And I don't know if there were you know the feds were at the game or whatever, but. He continued that rant in a more profane way after the cameras went off. Oh, yeah. Um, per multiple reporters who were in the room. And if anyone's audio caught that or, or the league caught wind of that, yeah. um, that is also probably going to be a part of that. So I think he gets a 25K here. But yeah, people have his back. And, and by the way, we don't need to crowdfund this. Uh, the organization will take care of this. It's yeah, not going to come out of Darko's pocket. They'll make way so. more money than, than yeah. us. Um, look, in yeah. seriousness, I thought, you know, Rant aside, that that's cool. I think that that shows a good thing, a good level of getting your players back. I think that, you know, certainly on Twitter, it seemed to uh, resonate with the fan base and their uh, feelings uh, about this. And, and look, last night was not just a Raptors thing. Like I had, do you know how hard it is to make a 76ers fan empathetic to another team? I was a friend who was a 76ers writer messaging me being like, this is the worst jobbing I've ever seen. Um, even, the Lake, even the Lakers broadcast on the Emmanuel quickly flagrant was like, what the heck, man? Yeah, like, yeah. What happened um, to the game I love? So it's not just that. Putting the actual poor calls aside and the free yeah. throw disparity aside, I came away from last night thinking that Darko handled this all extremely well. I agree. He has been pretty calm on the sidelines, kept a cool demeanor. Last night, if that's if that game unravels and it's a 15-point game or something like that, absolutely I could see him getting attacked, maybe even getting tossed to make mm-hmm. to make the statement. But he towed that line and there are a couple clips where at timeouts or after calls, he's Ben Taylor's getting the glare. Oh yeah. He's getting us a, a oh, real we saw look. that Darko glare yesterday, man. My goodness. But the screen caps around the world right now. Close game. Uh-huh. You don't want to give away a point on a technical foul. You don't want to remove yourself from the sidelines in a close game. I thought he did a good job um you know towing that line, you know, expressing the frustration but but not overstepping. And you know, this is this is only going to affirm this to locker room because Darko had their backs after the game. I think a very difficult thing, especially as a rookie head coach, especially when you haven't gone through that many situations like this as a team, there, like, there's a frustration there. Scotty is frustrated. The guys on the bench are frustrated. Darko's frustrated. That did not affect their play at all. They didn't start whining dramatically. They, they, didn't, foul they didn't start foul baiting. They didn't make emotional mistakes on the other end. They stuck to it and played through it and were just like, look, okay, we're playing in ankle weights, mm-hmm. but we're going to do this and we're going to try to pull that out. And I thought, so the combination of Darko being able to keep his cool on the sideline and stay on stay on the court, the players staying very, very composed through that, and then Darko having their back after the game, I think is only going to feed into that where there can be this level of trust now that like, hey, let's play through it. There's nothing we could do about it in the moment, and I'll have your back afterward. I, I think that that, is, that could be a good galvanizing moment for Darko and the core of this team. I, I thought he handled it extremely well through the fourth quarter and, and through the end of the game. It was really impressive to me that Darko, in a moment where he knew, he's like, I'm about to go viral, you know? It was one <laughs> of those things. And in that moment, he also added in Scotty Barnes as an all-star. Twice. Twice. Scotty right? Barnes. 
it, it's it's uh it was a great job by Darko, honestly. And and yeah, I totally agree with you. You don't want to cost your team any more points. You don't want to give them another reason to call uh, technical fouls and things like that. Yeah. Did you um last thing on this? Did you did you have a favorite call? Favorite <laughs> call? Miss call? Um. No, I mean, the quickly one is the one that probably I have more of an issue with letter of the law versus spirit of the law. I know why they okay. want to legislate out guys being a little careless with their elbows or whatever. But was he That's careless ba- with the elbow? No, it's a basketball. He had it, like, tucked. And, like, the explanation that, like, well, he was moving too fast. Was like, yeah, he's very fast and trying to score. I don't like, by the way, the camera panned over, and there was an official that went to go talk to quickly afterwards. It wasn't Ben Taylor because, you know, he doesn't talk ben to Taylor players. Ben Taylor was f-ing terrible tonight. <laughs> ben Taylor doesn't talk to players. One of, was one of the other two guys. And the official was going over and demonstrating too quickly. And the official had his elbows out, like, off to the side, like, at a huge angle. And that's not what happened. It's not like quickly, like, you know, did a huge clear out. What I described post game was, like, they were acting like it was Metal World Peace versus James Harden <laughs> from back in the day. Um, no, like, whatever. It, it's, it's, you know, that was called a flagrant. But when Pascal gets undercut midair yeah. uh, on, on a play that was not on the ball, that wasn't a flagrant call. Does the transition one was it Torian Prince? Torian Prince yeah. undercut him. Um, there, there's just a, a number of these decisions. And, e- and even Thad Young got really upset. And honestly, Thad Young played his heart, heart out yesterday. We're going to get to that in just a second. But, like, there was a play where Scotty threw uh, a, a great pass to Thad Young rolling to the basket. And Thad Young knows, you know, I'm old. I'm washed. I'm not going to dunk this ball. I'm going to get this shot up as quickly as possible. Torian Prince is beat on the play, puts his elbow into Thad Young's back. On behind him and in front of him, Austin Reeves comes over late with the rotation, undercuts him, and then trips him so that Thad is now falling over. Help, I'm falling over. I can't get up. Sorry, Thad. Uh, and then the other way, AD gets an and one in transition. And you could tell that Thad was complaining about that call for the next three possessions while playing solid basketball. But it's just like instances like that that just screwed you over and over and over again. The Scotty Barnes game-tying three, which was ruled out by the RJ moving screen when AD moved one feet and just, like, somehow his whole body exploded. And that's like, it's a tough one because, like, by letter, it's probably a moving screen, but also Anthony Davis flopped. Like, you should, like... It's and, how and you is just don't every see marginal that? contact for the Lakers exactly. a foul, but every sort of physical even, body movement for the Raptors Bill not a foul. Simmons like, no. had the back of the Raptors yesterday. No. Like, hey, no. sometimes twenty nine calls in a row don't go your way. Yeah. Um, it's not, and then the <sighs> the only other one, like I meant to look this up in the rule book and get see the exact language. I forgot, so I'm sorry. But the the Jared Vanderbilt, this isn't goaltending for touching the rim on a what, shot, what? but it's a technical foul for hanging on the rim. I assume their interpretation was like like similar to pass interference in football. Like that bucket didn't have a chance of going in, so it's not goaltending. I meant to look it up. I'll look it up at the break or whatever, but that's just a weird one. Like, yo, you were hanging on the rim. Mm. It's not goaltending, but here's a tech. I don't yeah. There were There were a few interesting ones. Christian Woods just walking up to officials screaming in their face. Chris, you're letting Christian Woods scream in your face? Give him a tech. Yeah. D'Angelo Russell running did over you, and clapping at did people's faces. Did you see faces? the LeBron? Like, oh, D'Angelo Russell. Was it Dennis he did that too, or was yeah, it RJ? Yeah, it was Dennis. He, like, is getting posted oh, up, and, and he clapped and RJ, at him. Actually, yeah. he, he was going off with both of yeah. those um, Did you see LeBron's quote about Christian Wood after the game, by the way? What do you say about Christian Wood? He said, I'm paraphrasing here, but he was like, yeah, there's nothing that guy cares about but getting a bucket. And Christian Wood took it as, like, a compliment that, like, oh, I'm a man. bucket getter. I don't think that's how LeBron meant it. I think LeBron meant it like, yeah, that guy does not care about passing or defense. Um, I tweeted last night, like, there's a reason that guy was the most dominant player in the G League for four years before he really got an NBA chance. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, how many how many G League guys are you asking to get a bucket? 
Uh, Christian Wood is a bucket in the Toronto sense of the word. But uh, anyway, um, you want to actually talk about the game. It's actually, you know what? Last thing, a super last thing. Um, Evan Turner. <laughs> Come on, man. Uh, for, of, of all people to jump in, Evan Turner just randomly jumps in. Um, and he was commenting on a video of Darko's rant. And his, his words were, you got to let your assistant coaches do the rant when you, quote, have an accent. Like, really? Yeah. And I'm happy Dennis jumped in. This and is said, shame. Yeah. No, I'm happy Dennis jumped in because, like, on top of all of this, like, not only are we getting screwed, but this random guy just comes in with a xenophobic comment. Like, yeah. what are we doing? It is not funny at all. No, uh, it's it's, it, it's not any, funny. It's not clever. It doesn't, like, make logical sense. Like, yeah. It's no. like, okay, you, like, are, are you going to bust out a Borat impression next in 2024? What are we doing that, like, people, like, a, basketball is incredibly international. Like, yeah. guys, people are going to have accents. English is not everyone's first language. You know what? Get Honestly, over it, man. <laughs> Americans, man. You guys, you guys really only speak one language, and uh, it shows. Um, um, yeah. I have one last thing. This is not really uh, last night's game, but it is a stat that came out of last night's game. So, Scotty was unbelievable down the stretch. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he was really good he defensively. Um, I mean, he's asked, being asked to guard LeBron James. He's in help situations where he's blocking two shots in a row, like on a double yep. jump. Um, and then, like, they're down to one timeout in the last minute of the game or so, and they're basically able to save that timeout because Scotty's like, I'm just going to sprint the length of the floor in, like, four strides, and that'll be our quick two. Uh, we don't need to set something up or go and gun for the three. So he's awesome. He obviously, he didn't get the end one call against Max Christie, which, you know, you, it's it's a... It's a 50-50 call, probably. In when Ben Taylor's the ref, it's like a 10-90 call. I was gonna say, um, was there a 50-50 call? Last yeah. Night? Um, yeah. But look, in this, in, and to Darko's point, Sky doesn't get a lot of free throws. Mm -hmm. And Chris Black, our, our colleague at Sportsnet, tweeted out a stat today that of the 66 players in the league who drive at least nine times per game, Scotty is 62nd in free throw attempts. The guys below him are like Fred Van Vliet and TJ McConnell. Now some Damn. of this is okay. Scotty Barnes is good at, like, he's not trying to bait contact or finish away from contact. He goes through the contact because he's stronger than most of the guys guarding him. Mm -hmm. um, I don't mean this to say, like, there's a, there's any sort of intent here, but relative to his scoring package and the way he scores and how often he shoots at the rim, Scotty really doesn't get a lot of free throws. You think there is something to that, that, you know, maybe because it's, it's still only year three and maybe the word hasn't got out on the leap yet or whatever that um, he doesn't get the same whistle that you'd normally expect for a guy averaging 21 points a game and getting to the to the paint pretty frequently. So I think there's a couple of things, um, which you already mentioned. But number one, Scotty does not play to draw the foul. When he doesn't get the foul call, he does campaign to the official when we pointed this out before. But also at the same time, when you put the numbers like this, that he's 62nd of 66 players. Uh, in terms of foul calls uh, or for free throws um, with guys like tiny guards like Fred VanVleet and TJ McConnell. And TJ McConnell drives to just gnash the pick and roll in the shooter Every single time. And then Fred is Fred. Well, we, we all know that. Yeah. So, like, there's that aspect. I don't think that he really tries to bait the officials. Like, for example, Austin Reeves is a guy who loves baiting the officials, right? He's got so many little tricks in his bag about that. And you can tell that he wants to get to those little tricks. Scotty, first off... That's something he's got to learn and he can add to his game as well. But quite frankly, I don't necessarily want an honest basketball player to learn how to play dishonest basketball. No, like, you want ethical ethical hoops. Yeah. And so the other aspect I think is he is really strong where it does feel like contact where if he's initiating or if, uh, someone else initiates contact towards him, you know, it doesn't show as much. You know, he's not selling the contact like when um, 
Anthony Davis act like he got shot uh, going around that R.J. Barrett screen. Well, seven foot five, three hundred pound R.J. Barrett flattened him with the screen. Absolutely, so. man. I forgot that. <laughs> I forgot that was uh, Yao Ming who set that screen there. Um, but for Scotty, like he absorbs that. So for the Max Christie play is, I think, a good example of that because Max Christie like plays some physical, tries to cut him off, bump him, bump him, bump him. Even for Pascal in that scenario, Pascal probably would have, you know, been put off on his drive with that many bumps and then thrown up like a floater or like a layup instead of dunking the ball. Maybe dunks the ball anyway. I've seen Pascal take it strong, but not as much as Scotty. And then you see the contact more noticeable because Scotty is, or Pascal is less strong than Scotty. In this case, Scotty just eats through all the contact and dunks the ball in his face. And he's like, but I got fouled. And it just doesn't look that way. It feels like people bounce off him in a way that haven't even seen since like Kawhi when he was a Raptor here. Kawhi would also kind of do the same thing. But yeah, it's uh. You'll yeah, build I mean, that. I, I think you'll Dark build that over point. the years. I think Dark but, a good yeah. point. That's all. Yeah, it is something to to keep an eye on. I think you'll you'll build it over the years. But yeah, it's not the three point shooting does not mean improving does not mean he's not taking it to the rack as well. So it's something to keep an eye on. Uh, okay, so Scotty Barnes was really great in the fourth quarter. The Raptors also just played pretty well. They were down Jakob Pertl against a huge team mm-hmm. that clearly obviously needs to win. Uh, and they played pretty well, especially offensively. Yeah. Uh, I, you, you mentioned to me off air that um, this was, you know, about as good as you've seen this team execute offensively in a fourth quarter. W- what did you like about, I mean, the whole game, but but really how they operate in the fourth as well? Well, I mean, the start of the game, the Raptors really struggled to generate offense. I think they were intimidated by the Lakers' length. You saw some, like, really weird shots, like, Chris Boucher shot a corner three that, like, bounced off the side of the backboard. Our, um, Emmanuel quickly had a pull-up three that was an air ball. Pascal missed a bunch of shots and was fumbling the ball a lot. Like, it just felt like the Lakers' length was getting to them. And the Lakers, to their credit, are a really good defensive team. And they were playing a really focused game yesterday. In the fourth quarter, when it was, like, possession, blow by blow, blow by blow, I thought the Raptors took it to another level, led by Scotty Barnes. Um, but the whole team, I thought, really jumped in on that. Pascal, after having a bad three quarters... Like, I don't think he missed a shot in the fourth quarter. He was hitting fadeaways over AD. <laughs> like, okay. And all of a sudden, he's he's hitting, you know, cash threes and stuff like that to put the Raptors up briefly. Um, but Scotty leading that charge. And I think it's just to me, it's just like when Scotty turns it on to that degree where he's got that, like, you know what, I'm going to just go. I like that first off, Darko played him the whole fourth quarter. None of that, like, let's take him out for a minute, get a breather. Get No, no, no. Don't disrupt that rhythm at all. Just keep him in the game. Let him cook. And when he has the ball coming down and he's running the pick and rolls and he's drawing on that extra attention, he was able to find Pascal for a roll to the basket, find Thad to a roll to the basket that it really should have been a foul, wasn't called. Huge swing that play. Um, I think that, yeah, the execution was really strong. And I, I liked how confidently guys shot the three as well. You know, like Gary sprinting down the floor and the Raptors miss a shot in transition, but they got the offensive rebound to kick so, it out to Gary. So weird to see a Raptors-Lakers game where both of those teams are on fire from three. That yeah. is just, it's new for the Raptors. It's not the Lakers' identity at all. And both teams shot like 44 to 50%. Yeah. And so I, I just, for me, I just, I really like the process of it. Uh, that being that it was led a lot by Scotty. I like uh, the individual determination from Scotty and the rest of the players. And I also like the fearlessness that the guys executed with. You know, like I... Seeing Pascal switch threes and things like that in, in, in fourth quarter is just it made me feel great. And I think that's the thing when I looked at, at the game, I'm just like, that was such a good effort and it wasn't enough to win the game. Yeah. And I think it's it's potentially an important piece of growth. And, you know, we don't want to lower the bar too much. This is a, a developing team, but not a team full of rookies. But you mentioned it. They looked a little 
a little intimidated at the start by, hey, we don't yeah, have Jakob Pertl. They're huge. They're not very good offensively, but they're a really good defensive team. And it's Anthony Davis and LeBron James. Yeah. And, you know, the first couple of possessions of the game defensively, they're dramatically overhelping in the paint. And Anthony Davis is still doing whatever he wants. And by the end of this one, not only were they seem seeming very confident that they could play with this Lakers team. Like I said earlier with the Darko point, they're kind of like, okay, well, you know, we feel it's five on eight the rest of the way. And we're still, we're still not going to back it. We're still confident. And look, eventually you'll need to pull those games out. But I think for this team so soon after the trade are uh, really, really great. And you're right. Scotty was fantastic down the stretch. Pascal, by the way, had his eighth consecutive game of shooting uh, no worse than 54.5%. Uh, he is Damn. on fire. He's he averaging, fire, yeah. averaging 25 and a half over he the last struggling eight. He so on, much for the third three quarters. On 60% yeah. overall, 56% on threes, and 74% on free throws, uh, 25, 5, and 5. And we can only eight. get Harrison Barnes in the trade package? Get out of here. Yeah. Harry, what, what, Keon Ellis on a two-way play in the backup point guard minutes last night. He, he's on the table now. Yeah. Um, do you want to – we got Michael Pena on the other side. Do you want to save the Thad at center stuff for when we tee up Clippers, or do you want to do it quickly here? We can say that there, okay. but I think the only thing I really wanted to add to this too is just I'm really, really enjoying all the banter. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I went uh, Adam Silver mode there. Um, I'm really enjoying having four creators on the team yeah. now because you can see that the Raptors in the first half had a couple guys struggling – Quickly, I thought, was struggling to get open. They, the Lakers put Cam Reddish on him, put a lot of length, and, and really pressured him a lot. Um, you know, uh, Scotty, I thought, did decently to start the game, but wasn't initiating as much. Pascal was really struggling. And the guy who was scoring was R.J. Barrett. RJ, RJ's yeah. like, oh, they're going to – I I put up 37 two nights ago, and you're going to guard me with Austin Reeves? Uh, let me go off. And he had 19 points in the first half. RJ's, like, magnet for – like once a defensive rebound comes down or turnover, yeah. how quickly he beelines to the worst defender on the other team is incredible. Mm. Like he has yeah, such yeah. a nose for it. He's just immediate, even if he doesn't have the ball yet, sure. he is immediately being guarded by the worst defender on the other team. It's it's a really cool skill to have. It, it's, it's important. It's, it's, it's part of basketball IQ. And I think RJ clearly has a knowledge of how to score 19 in the first half. Then third quarter comes around. Raptors offense in general looks better, but Emmanuel quickly with those threes yeah. really helps them pop off, quickly has his moment. And then fourth quarter, Scotty and Pascal have their moments as well um, with some sprinkling of Gary and stuff like that in between. But it's just like the Raptors didn't actually have offensive droughts last night, except for maybe a, a parts in the first quarter because of the fact that they got so many creators. And I think that that's just such a luxury to play. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Uh, my last thought on this before we take a break. Uh, last night was the second time in the last couple games that based on NBA's tracking data, Ron Harper Jr. appeared in the game. Uh, he is on the box score as having appeared in the game. He got waived weeks ago yeah. and like is out for the season injured, but twice in the last week, uh, he has popped up as having entered the game. Uh, something weird is going on is there. Is he Jonte Porter, essentially? No, like, Jonte Porter has his own box score line and played 10 what? minutes last night. It's just a weird thing that's happened twice now, and it's like I'm hyper fixated on gotcha. it now. Ron Harper Jr. going to get minutes tonight somehow despite being uh, at home helping his brother uh, prep for his uh, his freshman college season while he rehabs. Yeah, get well soon, RSJ. Um yeah. But yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> there's like, a new RJ now. <laughs> <laughs> there really, damn, there really is. We got our AJ, yeah. and he's full of Osmos. Uh, <laughs> what a <laughs> thing to say. Uh, we are going to take a break. I've been your host, Willow. You've been listening to the Raptor Show on the Sports Radio Network. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL, the JD Bunkers Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Welcome back to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I am your host, William Liu. We are going to be joined by Michael Pena. We are joined by Michael Pena of The Ringer, who is here to uh, pitch us on Pascal trade ideas. But, uh, Michael, do you have a comment? Do you have a comment on this national conspiracy, this this day where we are asking, uh, demanding the league office in Canada here to, um, I don't even know what specifically, I guess. This is shame. <laughs> just fire Ben Taylor, I suppose. What's going on, man? Do you have a comment on this? How are you guys doing today? Um, no, how are you? All right, we're I, going. We're going straight into this. I, uh, I don't know. I, I enjoyed the rant. I did. I saw the rant before I watched the game, which was probably a mistake because I was looking for something super egregious, and you know, I thought that the AD flop near the end of the game was pretty bad. But besides that, I, you know, it was kind of what it was. I thought it was kind of typical, typically poorly officiated game. There's good officiated games. There's bad officiated games. It didn't really strike the level of warranting that rant, but it was an entertaining one. And I, I appreciated it. Yeah. Uh, you know what? That was the day where Darko officially became head coach of the Toronto <laughs> Raptors because Drake finally <laughs> learned his name and was like, Oh yeah, we got a real one. Um, yeah, because he did come on courtside. The, the Raptors' official uh, global ambassador came courtside one game, put on the headset, and he's like, man, I haven't been here a long time. That is not Nick Nurse. <laughs> so he's gone from not Nick Nurse to Darko Ryakovich. So congrats to Darko. Um, yeah, Michael, do you, you so you have some Pascal trade ideas to, to throw at us. But poor Pascal. We're coming off a night where he was so good in the fourth quarter. The Raptors have looked a little better since the trade. And, and like, this isn't unique to you, Michael. I'm sure your ideas and delivery will be unique. But, like, all anyone wants to talk about is Pascal trade ideas. Uh, the poor guy uh, hits a bunch of threes. I just read his, he's averaging 25-5-5 and five on ludicrous mm. shooting over the last eight games. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, there should be a market for a guy who's playing – that well so michael this is uh the rare the guest calls their shot on what we're going to talk about what what do you got what do you got kicking around in your head on, on the pascal front yeah i mean i'll just start by saying that i am a huge pascal fan i think he's having a tremendous season this is his most efficient year since they won the title the three-point shooting kind of is what it is but as you said he's been shooting the ball a lot better lately he was absolutely dusting christian wood last <laughs> night in comical fashion on those closeouts. I don't know what Christian Wood was doing, but that's kind of par for the course for him. Um, you know, the only reason why I think that this is, uh, well, obviously is uh, a worthy topic, but just like the OG and Anobi trade kind of made it so I just feel like it's borderline inevitable that Pascal gets traded. I don't know if you guys feel the same way. Um, and the Ananobi trade also... Uh, you know, it clarified what the Raptors are really looking for on the market um, or could be clarifying to what they want. And I also think that that trade, like the return was what it was, but I do think that Pascal is a lot harder to move um, just because he's on a way more expensive contract, $37 million um, expiring. He's a potential flight risk. He's going to be extremely expensive on this next deal. Uh, and he turns 30 in April. So all of these, this is just me tempering kind of what the return is going to be on all my fake trades that I have for you guys. Um, this guy's going to throw key on Alice at us, man. I, I better not hear the words Paris and Barnes come out of your mouth. <laughs> I think I will though. I think I might. No, let's start. Um, one of my favorite ones is to the Oklahoma City Thunder. Okay. And it's a team that 
uh, obviously very good. One of the best teams in the Western Conference this year and probably won't make a move this substantial this season. But this is the type of offer that I could see really benefiting both sides or making sense for both sides. So uh, the Raptors would get for Pascal Siakam, uh, Davis Bertans, okay. uh, Lou Dort. All right. Getting warmer. Ujman Jang and a top six protected pick via Philadelphia in 2025. That's the offer for you. Ooh. I can't, I can't even get Casey Wallace in this. He, that, absolutely not. No. Absolutely not. That's a, a, absolutely not. Happen. I can't get a, a man getting six, seven points for this. So uh, to run this one down, Bertons is in the deal to make the salary math work. He has yeah. a, a small guarantee for next year. I think it's five million. So you could, you know, you'd either waive him and eat the five million or you keep him as one of those, you know, human trade exceptions into the off season <laughs> to, to see if you can use him for something else. Uh, all right, Daryl Moore. We don't we don't refer to humans as trade exceptions. Yeah, basically <laughs> when they're dumb as protons, I think you're okay with it. Um, fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, like what is Alonzo G was spent like five different uh, uh-huh. somewhere on like five or six different teams for that purpose. Yeah. Um so that's just the you know the salary matching there. Lou Dort has uh, three more years left beyond this one between 16 and 17 and a half million. That's Pretty solid. reasonable deal. Obviously, there's the Canadian aspect. He mm. fits kind of the defensive identity the Raptors have had historically. Um, Usman Jang has not found a, a real role with them. He's been very good in the G League. Um, I don't know how much people care about that when a guy is in year two of, of his four-year rookie deal. And then, yeah, that top six pick will almost, or sorry, top six protected pick would almost certainly convey in a 2025 draft that is supposed to be uh, a pretty strong one. It'd be mm-hmm. a late first because it comes via Philadelphia. So you're looking here at, you know, three and a half years of Dort at a reasonable salary. Usman Jiang as the key prospect and probably a pick in the late twenties in 2025. Well, um, so my, my answer in short is no, yeah. um, until I get a better <laughs> prospect from OKC or even more picks. But I, I think on the point of Usman Jang, um, he's still young. So I think that that's a good factor for him, but also at the same time, he's averaging four points a game. Yeah. Um, There's a reason he's, Spent time in the G League in his second yeah, year. Yeah, right? and whatever. He's not the first, like, 20-year-old to average four points a game. Like, Grady's averaging, like, I mean, Pokershevsky's been there, like, eight years now and is still in the G League, so. Sure, yeah. He might be the new Andre Ingram. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just need a better prospect. Like, I, if, if Casey Wallace is in this, I, I'd actually have a conversation. But, you know, if, if he's not, then we might have to move on. But I, I do like the idea of moving Pascal to OKC, though. I think he would really thrive at OKC and look awesome. There. It also solidifies I just way that, more. like, OKC yeah. is the official Western Conference team of all of Canada because then you'd have, you know, Pascal fans joining Shea fans yeah. uh, there as well. So I like that aspect. Michael, what, what else you got for us? Uh, well, if you don't like that one, you're not going to like any of these others. I mean, so, I, think they're uh, help- I think they're helpful to talk mean? through. Anyway. Your prize prospect. Do you like, is, is, there, is there something you like about Uzmang Jang that is, like, really enticed me as the headliner here as a prospect. I would say I included him because that's the guy who's not in their rotation right now, who oh, what are we Sam Presti would include. Like there's, I'm just trying to be real. I'm just keeping it real. Wow. Um, wow. Okay. But that's a, it's a 20 year old with high upside. who's super long mm-hmm. who they traded up in the draft to get. They obviously yeah. liked him a lot. They're really good talent evaluators. And so that's like kind of your, your buy low guy. But I also, I'm surprised you haven't talked more about Lou Dort. Who's actually like really good. And when I'm thinking through potential trades, it's clear to me that, you know, uh, Scotty Barnes is obviously the foundational piece that they're building around. He fits really great around Scotty. Emmanuel quickly um, also fits really great there. And so 
that's kind of like as a as just like a core piece going forward who's young who's under contract going i just think that that's like really good value to get back and lou lou dort's still only 24 he'll be 25 in the offseason so you've got some you know similar to as you've talked about with rj and quickly there's there's maybe some room to grow there um michael do you this is the first year dort's really shot the three at a good level he he had mm-hmm. established himself as a competent three-point shooter, like a guy you... Willing, willing. Yeah, and yeah. you will leave him open, but he'll hit 33% of them over the last couple of years. He's up over 40% this year. Do you do you buy that improvement? Is that small sample? Because no, I do think that that dictates at least a little bit. of it. Obviously, defensively, Ludorf fits anywhere. He can guard for, like, short of Drew Holiday, he might be the most versatile backcourt, you know, defender. That, awesome that defender. Yeah. Awesome defender. Um, I... Sure. Like, I do buy it. I mean, it's on a healthy volume. Everyone in OKC is making all of their shots. So I don't know if there's like this halo effect going on. And a lot of them are really open. Um, But I do feel like going down the line, like there will be a time when as soon as next season where like Emmanuel quickly and Scotty Barnes are able to create those same types of looks for someone like Lou Dort behind the three point line. So He's making 40.9% now on 4.4 attempts. Per, like, I just think that's really solid, and, and that's a real thing this late in the season. All right. I, I don't mind. I mean, obviously, he is a centerpiece. I suppose that would come back from this. He would be a starter for you. There is a need to someone to defend. Um, right now, you have Scotty, for example, guarding, like, LeBron one night and then, like, Steph Curry the other night. So <laughs> it, it's not ideal for him to do that um, and also produce on a super high level on the other end, sustainably. So I do like Lou Dort's fit, but I, I'm also curious as to what other offers are there. Because so, for me, I'd rather just extend Pascal then. Yeah, so let me throw this at you, Michael, because I know you have a couple things, uh, a couple possible ideas here. The sense that we've got from talking to Michael Grange yesterday and what the Raptors prioritized in the OG trade is that more than the volume of assets that they're getting back, the headline asset is probably what is going to move the needle for them. Who is the or what is the single best prospect or pick that you have in any of these scenarios that you've laid out? This guy said cut to the uh, chase. Yeah. <laughs> cut to the Keegan Murray. Uh, yeah, you're not getting Keegan no. Murray. Um, all right, let's go Warriors. Okay. Here's all right. one. All right. Chris Paul, Moses Moody, and Golden State's unprotected first round pick in 2026. That pick is that pick is pretty That's a enticing. spicy pick. That's a pretty decent pick. It's Immediate pick. return, you're just getting Moody back, which I what's the hope for Moody? Like he's gonna be rotation caliber kind of like I, I like Moody. I, I don't I like Moody. Danny Green. Yeah. Can he be Danny Green? He can he can be more than that, I think. Yeah. More yeah. than Danny Green. Yeah, I mean we oh, I yeah. mean the other night wasn't the best sound. We saw a little bit of self creation no, in there solid. as well. He, he moves solid. well off the ball. Yeah. He's a good defender. I I'm not saying I, like I haven't Danny really Green. figured out why Steve Kerr doesn't like him that much. I, I can't really make heads or tails of it. It's because um, his name is not Steph Clay or Draymond. Yeah. Uh that twenty twenty six pick is injury because like Steph's gonna be thirty seven. Clay, if he's still yeah. around, is gonna be thirty five. Draymond would be thirty five, and they have obviously no cap space. The unprotected pick is is is, is definitely very interesting to me. Hmm. This is better than the OKC offer for me, just to, just to be clear. Um, it is. Okay. Well, extra, I should have started ca- Extra there, cap flexibility no, because Chris Paul is expiring. Um, yeah. And then obviously you could buy him out and let him go wherever. Um, with, so to the extent that that matters to you, um, you know, you you would be a free agent player as structured there. You could get into like 35 million-ish in cap space. Yeah. If you made, I know it doesn't no, matter no, no. a ton, but it, it's, a, it's a relevant component there. And then, yeah. 
Um, you you probably you certainly like Moody better than Zhang right now. Uh, people probably disagree on the ultimate upside between the two of them, maybe. But Moody's clearly ahead of him uh, right now. And then that 2026 pick is better than the 2025 protected one from Philly. I think so. Yeah, I, I, I could understand why you. Am like I being greedy if I ask for pods as well? Is 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 pods available? So I would guess no. That's okay. why I put Moody in here. But I do think that if we were just doing this completely fake, made up negotiation, that yeah, let's throw pods in. How, and... how many lefties can one team have? Uh, we can have an all lefty <laughs> team. Let's do it. Be four lefties in the rotation at that point. Now that Thad Young's in there. Yeah, it sounds like you're a Blue Jays guy again. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, that one's actually. We're gonna have to have more conversations about that. That's like, I'm not. I'm not hard. I'm not saying no. I'm, I'm gonna write follow up emails on that one. Is there one more that you have or no? Sure. So well, I have like five more. But oh, okay. Let's <laughs> let's go. I'm gonna let's. Uh, this is one that I was conferring with someone. Both all of us know a mutual friend, James Herbert. Yeah. I was throwing some spitballing some of these trades off of him. I told him that I was not gonna say what I'm about to say <laughs> on the radio, um, I because it just won't happen. But it is technically possible and really interesting to talk about. So for the sake of conversation, uh, Pascal Siakam to the Timberwolves for Carl Anthony Towns. Oh, wow. Oh, 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 oh my goodness. Yeah. So, I mean, how much Ta is Towns making? He has four years left. Uh, his extension kicks in starting next year, and it ranges from $47 million to $58.5 million okay. each year over the next five. So, so we're essentially giving Cat so. the max rather than extending Pascal to the max. Yes, and probably a higher – I don't think Pascal's getting, like, the 47 million. Yeah, oh, yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you're going full max on Carl Anthony Towns, who is 28. <sighs> he's only he's only a year and change younger than Pascal. Mm. Um, obviously, uh, yeah, that's an interesting one. That's an interesting one. That's a challenge trade. Yeah, I, I think the it Timberwolves is. are doing too well probably to make a challenge trade. Yeah. Um, although they are, like – I don't know. There's the weird thing where, like, as currently constructed, like, not long from now, they'd be, like, a super tax team, which I don't know that they would. I don't know. This is a, this is a hard one to picture. I understand why you were hesitant to bring in, but it is a fun one to think about. <laughs> the uh, turn one guy into another guy straight up trades are rare, but they're, they're more fun hypotheticals, I think. I think I'm just trying to, like, come to grips with the idea of, like, am I mentally prepared to cover a Car Anthony Towns team? Um but also at the same time, I think that it's undeniable that he has a lot of skills. He could be this uh, floor spacing five around Scotty, let's say, for example. Your defense is with him at five, probably not ideal, but you could run a damn good offense. Uh, yep. Huh. All right. That's not bad. These are getting better and better, by the way. I gotta, when you I said the say. Timberwolves, I was really worried when you were going to mention Rudy Gobert, and, and I was going to leave my own leave our own show. Yeah. <laughs> okay. This I is, wouldn't. I wouldn't do that to you guys. Huh. That, I I got to think long and hard about that one. If if uh if if I were Toronto. All right. Um, can we pivot off Pascal to uh? We'll, we'll revisit these, Michael. Wow. I, I have okay. an intention of doing some kind of mock negotiations, um, where Will plays the role of, of Messiah and Bobby Webster. I'll I'll just kind of coordinate, but I'll bring you in as one of the uh one of the negotiating teams. You uh, play the game to win. Yeah. You, um, you, winning. Sorry. Anyway. Yeah. I, I I'll work on my Adam Silver voice and things like that. You did the Adam Silver drop earlier. Um. Okay. So Michael, uh, the Raptors will play the Clippers tonight, who are in the news because Kawhi Leonard just signed a a three year almost max extension that, that'll keep them there through uh, the end of 2027 into their new stadium, etc. You tweeted the other day that this is the best big three in the league now, and it's not really close. Uh, the Raptors are going to see them tonight. Second, I have a back-to-back -back without Jakob Pertl. It's maybe not a fair fight, but this Clippers team has been unbelievable since they got that first kind of quick losing streak. 
out of the way when they acquire James Harden. What what are you liking about this group right now? What has made them not only like like obviously the talent that you have all those guys. It's but it has seemingly worked even better and certainly much faster than I think people anticipated after the Harden trade was initially made. Yeah, I mean, I'll just I'll begin with Kawhi, who looks absolutely fantastic. Paul George looks absolutely fantastic. They look like two superstars that everyone thought they would be and have been when healthy since they were traded to uh since they went to the Clippers. Um, but I just think that the fit with Harden as that just brilliant playmaking virtuoso that they've never had, those two, Kawhi and PG in this era, has been amazing and super necessary, and it has benefited pretty much everyone on the roster, um, everyone who's bought into their new role in this, how this roster is constructed, where you have Westbrook coming off the bench playing like the best defense I've ever seen Russell Westbrook play in 15 to 20 minutes a night. You have uh, Avitsa Zubats, who's just like uh, 20, 20 games are now just like a thing with him because I mean, as a pick and roll uh, threat, vertical threat with Harden. I mean, Harden just just turned him into basically like a Clint Capella 2.0, just like a bigger body, great hands, great touch around the rim. Um, I mean, they have it all like talent wise, they have three point shooting and Harden. This is the most efficient season that he's basically ever had. He's attacking the basket. He's still getting to the free throw line. He's the pull up threes, the step backs, the isolation game. It's all there really efficient. And he's setting up Kawhi and PG and making their lives easier as well. So offensively, it's really humming. And then, like, defensively, uh, like, Kawhi, in the second half of that game, their most recent game against the Phoenix Suns, he was just everywhere. He was completely blitzing uh, Beal, Booker, uh, KD, ripping KD, going the other way, deflections um, up the wazoo, like th- their pressure, um, and the way they blitz and just rotate behind the ball, everything is coordinated and everything is organized. And, um, they're just really good individual defenders and really good in this concept that Ty Lue has had, where it's just like hyper aggressive chaos. So I, I, I think that, uh, you know, the number one thing with them is just, can you stay healthy? Uh, they have so far, uh, Kawhi's only missed four games, I believe this season, and uh, just signed that extension, as you said. And I think that Harden has looked like an all, he probably won't make the all-star team because of his per game numbers and the slow start, but looks all just looks like vintage Harden almost in a, in a way where he's sacrificing some of the, um, the shots and the touches, but just is amazing. And so kind of throwing them in there where he is the third best player, um, it's just kind of unfair offensively, uh, like to be honest with you, because he's been in a, in a situation right now where the third best perimeter defender is guarding him every night um, and everyone has an advantage otherwise. So I just think they're really good, really deep, really talented. Uh, they have superstars. They have a top five, six, seven player, whatever you want to say Kawhi is. And if they stay healthy, they're 100 percent a title contender and can win it all. And Norm's like the best shooter in the world. 46% on Love threes Norm. this year is in like fifth yeah, year yeah. in a row of being 40% or higher on catch and shoot. It's like to have three ball guys who can be ball dominant and are all over 40% three-point shooters. And then you bring in a guy off the bench to replace either one of them staggering. And that guy also shoots 40% and just feasts mm-hmm. off the, you know, the open looks that he gets because the defensive tension is there. It's a lot, man. And they have the Folger soldier, Amir, Amir <laughs> Coffee. 
which I think is the best nickname in the league, by the way. <laughs> Shout out to the Clippers broadcast crew for... 10.30 game tonight. You're going to need that Seaman, Folgers soldier. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, James Harden, I, was, I did not fully appreciate the fact that, first off, for a guy who's such a good three-point shooter, first time in his career, he shot over 40% from three. Because so many are step-backs exactly, and ISOs yeah. and stuff. Yeah. No, but he's still taking those as yeah. well. And he's at 43% is, is the highest effective field goal percentage of his career as well. Um, yeah, the Clippers are loaded. And um, we will see. We will see. Thad Young... You're gonna have to, gonna strap up once again, man. If because Zubac is on the other side, <laughs> Zubac is interesting too as a role partner. Because I was happy you talked about that. Because I feel like Harden's largely played with like, um, you know, space really guys, basic finishers like dunkers mostly, but like not guys that you can just throw the ball to near the basket with good post position and with great touch like Zubac. So it's like mm-hmm. a little bit different in terms of how much more he can feed him as well, but. Yeah, Clippers are Clippers are. Uh, I hate to say this, but they're 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 def- they're they're very lethal. And uh, every time I look at that team, I'm still not over Kawhi leaving. But uh, that's enough torment for us today. Um, <laughs> Michael Pena, appreciate you. And uh, you know, maybe we'll work out some more fake Pascal trades. So I'll get back to you about the Car Anthony Towns one. That one's that's a real challenge one. That trade. Thanks, fellas. This was fun. All right, Michael Pena of the Athletic. With by the way, did you notice he had uh, Nikola Jokic, an MVP? poster of him above his bed hmm. yeah i think that's my guess is that's a guest room like an office slash guest room. well one of his guests is, is sleeping <laughs> with Jokic as a two maybe like his child's room i don't know yeah um anyway mark stein on the other side <laughs> we're gonna take a break we're gonna see if mark stein has uh, a poster of Jokic above his bed uh but we're gonna take this break up in your host willow you've been listening to the raptor show on the sports Night radio network views on everything in the National Football League. It's the Fan Checkdown with Matt Marchese and Donovan Bennett. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I'm your host, Wim Liu, joined by Blake Murphy, and we are joined on the line by... Friend of the program, Mark Stein. Uh, Steinima, what did you think of uh, Darko's rant yesterday? How did that rank for you in terms of uh, epic postgame rants? I loved it. Loved the passion. Well worth whatever the fine is going to be. He's a first-year coach who people probably didn't know a ton about. Now everybody around the league knows Darko Ryakovich. Everyone's talking about what he said. I see... Absolutely zero downside to any of it. Yeah, for um, him or the, for him or the Raptors. I was gonna say I, I I'm pretty sure that this amount of fine will not be coming out of his salary. I think the league, the team will find a way to take care of this uh, as an organization. But um, yeah, it, it was a good. It was a, I was actually not pleasantly surprised, but I just wasn't really sure what the reaction was gonna be the following morning and like. Like, they were talking about it on a first take. Like, it, it's, like, everywhere. It's and, like, like Ben Taylor is one of the, like, cup. Ben Taylor is one of the small handful of referees that everyone knows their name. And if you know a referee's name, it's probably not for the right reasons. So everyone was probably just like, yep, that tracks. If you're doing this against a, an unnamed referee or, or not a notable guy, it's probably uh, 
a little different. Um, Mark, I'd imagine it's 25K. That's what Udoka and Jenkins got earlier uh, in the year. What, what do you like about this? Obviously, there's the, there's the passion element and there's the having your team's back element. Given that we haven't seen this from Darko yet, does this tell you anything about, about him as a coach and, you know, the way that he kind of went to bat for his team like that? Like, do you like it from that aspect beyond just the entertainment aspect as well? Yeah, that's the best part of it, obviously. I mean, look, the Raptors, it's been a rough ride here going back to last season, and there's a coaching change, and there's all these rumblings about not the happiest mood and vibe around the team. So I'm sure the players on that team, they just acquired quickly. And R.J. Barrett, there's new players there, but they're all new players realistically for a first-year coach. And I have to think that everybody on that team is appreciative to hear their coach have their back like that. That for sure is the most, you know, put the entertainment stuff aside. That's for sure the best part of it from a Raptors perspective. And look, I don't think, I mean, I, I think they all woke up pretty angry today because that is a crazy free throw disparity and the team has been playing well and it's a narrow defeat on the road and every road game it's hard enough to win as it is, but you know, I, uh, I look, I mean, I'm sure every player on that team is now going to be asked about it. So I'm eager to kind of hear their reactions to it, but yeah, look for, again, for a coach that he is a new commodity. We don't, we don't, I mean, you guys live and die with this team every day, but I, I would imagine you'd agree with me that you're still learning about him too. Because when you're an assistant coach in this league, we very rarely hear from you. So, Yeah, we are still learning about him. And I think we've learned a little bit more, you know, tactically and rotation-wise since the trade. Now that the pieces offensively make a little bit more sense, we're seeing, uh, you know, that that level of fire and keeping the team composed down the stretch of a tough game like that. And Mark, I got to imagine your favorite part about Darko, and some of this is out of necessity, but he started two lefties and had three in the rotation last night. Yeah, that's never going to get any protests from me. Um, you know, I love my lefties and just <laughs> poor, poor, poor Brandon Pajemski from the Warriors, Warriors rookie. He agreed to do the podcast with Chris Haynes and I and probably thought he was going to get a lot of questions about just plain old basketball stuff. But, of course, I spent a third of our half hour with him just talking about left-handedness. So <laughs> yeah. you are correct. Uh, Mark, on a more serious note, from that game last night um, – the fact that, like, the Raptors were down Jakob Pertl. They are in the middle of a West Coast trip. They're a couple games removed from a trade. All of the stuff, you know, breaks the Lakers way down the stretch, and they still barely eke out a victory against that Raptors team. Where are you on this Lakers team right now and kind of the, the slog they've had since the in-season tournament? I mean, the, the most worrisome part about it is that LeBron and AD have barely missed any time and they are still scuffling as a 500 team. And there's a lot of discussion around the league. And the reason I think that any of the Darvin ham chatter began was because we've seen very little of the lineup that the Lakers used a ton late last season when they went on their late, I think it was a nine and two finishing kick in the regular season. And then they beat Minnesota in the plane. And then they, then they go all the way to the Western conference finals. You haven't seen D'Angelo Russell and Reeves and Vanderbilt with LeBron and AD 
We've barely seen it this season. After last season, they relied on it heavily. And I think that's where some of maybe the discussion about Darvin Ham began. But I'm actually with Darvin Ham. When you look at it, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm checking it out right now because I, I haven't looked this morning. And, I, and I, I generally do love to look at offensive and defensive rating. It's just something that I check a lot. The Lakers are 12th. The Lakers awoke on this Wednesday at number 12 in de- defensive efficiency. That's that's not nearly good enough. They they are a defense-first team, and they have to be a top-five team to offset the offensive shortcomings that we talk about with the Lakers all the time. And so I think that's what Darvin Ham's been searching for, and that's why you haven't seen – that lineup combination, because when you have Russell and Reeves out there together, you're vulnerable defensively. And so D'Angelo Russell's role has been de-emphasized. I think because of the contract D'Angelo Russell signed, there's a great expectation that he's probably going to be traded at some point. So the Lakers, no question, I think they would have to admit it themselves. They are one of the most disappointing teams in the league, again, because Anthony Davis is playing really well. I don't have to tell Toronto fans about that either. And so uh, when you have Anthony Davis and LeBron James missing almost no time and you're a 500 team, that's a problem. Yeah. Um, Also a bit of a problem is, and this is someone else's report, so I'm not asking you to say anything about the validity of that. It's just when the report came out last week uh, from The Athletic about, you know, players aren't happy with Darvin Ham, what struck to me with that piece was just there were six sources <laughs> cited in the piece. And, um, Mark, I, I just have to ask your professional opinion. How many times have you had six sources in a piece? Well, six is six – is, that's a good, healthy number. <laughs> that's a big um, number. <laughs> you're, you're, supposed to have, you're supposed to have at least two. Uh-huh. And, you know, the, I kind of guess the one exception to that rule is if, you know, if your source – like, let, let's just, I mean, this is a fun one because this would obviously never happen, but let's say Kawhi Leonard had called Blake Murphy and said, I'm doing a contract extension today. You can probably go one source there mm. if it's directly from the person involved. Um, but, yeah, look, I, the discontent and the noise has certainly been mounting. I mean, again, the Lakers, they're they, – the expectations are so high because they've had their two main guys on the floor. And because besides what Anthony Davis has been doing, LeBron James continues to turn back the clock and he's so good at 39 and has completely made us rethink what a 39 year old is capable of. He's the only 39 year old in the league. He's the oldest player in the league. And, you know, he certainly cannot bring it defensively like he once did. And he certainly can't, just care you can't just put any four guys next to him and expect LeBron to take that team to the finals like he once could, but he's still a handful. And so the expectations are massive in Lakerland and naturally that's gonna voice pressure on the coach. But Darvin Ham did a tremendous job last season. A team that didn't just start two and ten. It was late March before the Lakers finally turned it around and got above 500. I mean, it was months of sub 500 purgatory in Lakerland. And in the modern NBA, I say this all the time, the coach has to do so much team spokesman work. You, when you are the coach of an NBA team, you know, access to everyone else around the NBA is shrinking and diminishing, but the coach on a game day 
They talk at shoot-around. If there's a shoot-around, they talk before the game. They talk after the game, and that's to the group media. They're also talking to the, the broadcast crews, the national broadcast crews. So the coach so often is the only one you hear from from a team, especially in tough times. And I don't think the Lakers, I don't think team officials can forget what a sturdy spokesman and just sturdy presence in general, Darvin Ham was last season when things were going badly for a long time. And they have some runway here to figure some tweaks out via the the trade and things like that and try to find their footing uh, by the time the, the play-in tournament rolls around. For now, though, there are as many sources expressing that discontent. There are more sources expressing discontent than the Pistons or Spurs have victories on the year and those two teams will uh face off tonight the pistons and spurs are combined eight and 64 that is a winning percentage of one 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 uh nice and low mark you wrote about this in, in your newsletter this week at markstein.substack.com uh had some additional stats from justin kubatko who who helps you out sometimes um four teams being outscored by 10 points per game right now i, I guess first do you have like a a morbid interest in the Cadeless Pistons against the Spurs tonight and more to the, the larger point of your newsletter. Um, is this something the league is like concerned about at all that four teams are so irredeemably bad at once? I don't know what the league can do about it, but I, this story actually, like I I've said frequently that one of the, you know, I do not miss many things post ESPN, which I've now been gone from ESPN for more than six years. But one thing that I definitely do miss greatly is having a research department army that just used to furnish me with just statistical gold day after day after day. And I, I'm a, and I'm a, I'm a stat nerd, not an analytics, not on the analytics side, but just like, I love historical perspective stuff that just when you can kind of illustrate how rare something is in league history that we're witnessing. But I am fortunate that in my, you know, in my current self-publishing situation, I still do have some friends who will just reach out to me from time to time. And I have one in particular who he never wants me to even put his name in there. He just loves NBA stats and will throw things at me that I hadn't even. And, and so a week ago, someone, this, this friend of mine just threw it at me and said, do you, have you seen what's going on here? Like we have four teams, Pistons, Spurs, Wizards, Hornets, that are all getting outscored by an average of at least 10 points a game. And in his initial research, he was only able to go back to 96, 97, which I believe is when play-by-play stats became readily available to the masses, to the masses. And so going back basically 30 years, in his research, he was like, there's never been more than one team in a season, and he had only found eight total. And then I turned, as you mentioned, to Justin Kabatko, who is just fantastic, and he does his own substack that's purely on statistical stuff, and he helped me complete the research. And there's only been 19 teams in the history of the league to get beaten that badly, 10 points a game or more. So only 19 total, never more than one in any season. And right now we have four teams just losing i mean what, what what just happened to the pistons they were up 20 on sacramento and lost by 20 i mean it's crazy what is happening 
at the bottom of the league. And I think we're used to it on some levels now that, you know, there's the four or five teams who fall out of the race early and then the whole rest of the league is still in the play-in mix to a degree. But, yeah, the non-competitive nature from the bottom four this season, we've never seen anything like it, and it's a great point. I mean, I, you know, I guess we're going to have to. Maybe, maybe this will be a question that is posed to Adam Silver at All-Star Weekend. He'll do his annual State of the League address in Indianapolis. I'm not sure that I'll be there, but if I'm not there, I hope somebody in the room does ask the question. What do you think of seeing four teams that routinely lose by double digits? It's crazy. Yeah. Um, The Pistons obviously had the historic run, 28 straight losses, and then the Raptors mercifully gave them that one win. Um, If not for that one win, (laughs) the Pistons would be on a 34-game losing streak. Like, they've lost to five games since. You know what I mean? And so That two-and-one start, though. They looked good for those three it's, games. It's, been, it's, it's absurd it's how bad that this you game guys is. Bring that up. It's important that you guys bring that up because that's exactly why this hasn't been a story. Mm-hmm. Because we've been so focused on the Pistons losing 28 in a row, and that's the longest single-season losing streak that we've ever seen in the league. We've been so focused on that, it's taken up all the oxygen. And look, Victor Wembanyama has done, you know, unicorn type stuff routinely and he you know leaves us in awe with you know throwing oops to himself and going behind the back and throwing one on Brooke Lopez's head and all this stuff and statistically you know his numbers are rookie of the year stuff but what are the first five and 30 and they have a worse point differential than Detroit and we've barely discussed it because we're so locked in on what's going on in Detroit so my question to this is just I feel like my sense out of it, because it seems like Detroit, contrary to what, you know, you would typically see from a team in the scenario, which they would typically sell and try to get rid of their pieces, at least their reporting coming out of Detroit seems like they actually want to buy. They're like, guys, we're so bad. We need to, like, try to, like, approach respectability by adding, you know, veteran NBA players who can help us win. You see them linked to, for example, Pascal. And typically teams at the bottom of the league don't do this. How difficult do you think that will be for the trade market when it comes around in about a month where it's like, I'm not even sure if these guys at the bottom of the league are actually sellers. Well, we'll see if they stick to that stance. But the truth is the Pistons have had this stance for ages. You know, Boyan Bogdanovich and Alec Burks, contending teams wanted to trade for those guys a year ago, exactly a year ago where we are now and the Pistons kept the Pistons established really high trade price scenarios for those players because they the messaging that kept coming out of Detroit was we want to be good next year we want to have Boyan Bogdanovich on our team so Cade Cunningham has a veteran score on the wing with him to help us win that was the messaging and a year later that they're still saying it and you're you're absolutely right I mean the Pistons they continue to be mentioned as a Pascal Siakam team. And on one hand, you could say, all right, well, they know Pascal's probably not going to choose them in free agency, so maybe a trade for him makes sense from that perspective. But is Pascal going to sign an extension there? I mean, no way. now that December 30th has passed, no, any team that trades for Pascal Siakam can only offer him a two-year extension anyway. So I don't think he's doing an extension with any team that could conceivably acquire him before the trade deadline. Really, the only extension option 
that still exists with Pascal Siakam is if the Raptors don't make a move and don't trade him by February 8th, yeah. and now they have four months until June 30th to say, do we really want to let Pascal Siakam go to free agency, or should we offer him the max to convince him to sign an extension so, okay, in that scenario, the Raptors wouldn't be able to trade him for six months, but at least they don't lose him without compensation. But, you know, if, if the Detroit Pistons realistically trade for Pascal, whatever the trade package is, and think they're going to keep him, I mean, it's hard to picture that. Mark, when you look at those teams at the bottom, they're obviously kind of the, the core four. They're the, the four horsemen of the NBA apocalypse at the bottom of the standings. Um, the Memphis Grizzlies to this point have just been normal bad. They looked better with Jaw Morant there. Jaw's now out for the season. Um, they're kind of cast into an interesting position between now and the deadline as well. What do you? What is your read on, on how the Grizzlies might handle what is now, I think, officially a lost season with the Clark and Adams and Morant injuries now? They're going to be turning what you just said into a clip that I think they're going to play at their next shoot-around because everybody said that two days ago when, you know, Monday night, it's almost 10 p.m. Eastern, and this stunning bulletin comes across that John Morant needs season-ending surgery, and it wasn't just me. All the know-it-alls in the league or who cover this league, we all said Memphis' season is over, and Memphis happened to be in the city where I reside, Dallas, and you saw what they did to the Mavericks last night. So I think it's still too early to figure out exactly how they're going to play it. Realistically speaking, you know, was that just a win on adrenaline? I mean, I don't think anybody expects Memphis to, to be able to force their way into I mean, people were doubting whether they could make a run into the play-in spots even with job back, and now they're 8-20 you know, and without him. They were 6-3 and three with him, but um, I just think, yeah, they uh, they clearly do not like us even suggesting such things, <laughs> judging by how they responded in Dallas last night. It's crazy. One of the it, you know the Mavericks schedule was interesting this year because they had three games against Memphis during Jaw suspension, and with <clears throat> with Jaw needing the shoulder, shoulder surgery. It means that Dallas played Memphis four times, all without John Morant, and they were only able to go two and two. So we, we'll probably need to wait a week before we get into that one. That's fair. And uh, we've got a couple weeks still uh, until the trade deadline where we'll try to figure out what, uh, you know, those teams, what are the Utah Jazz, the Atlanta Hawks, teams like that uh, going to do. There was the Kawhi Leonard contract extension today as well, which I guess we could have asked yeah. you about, Mark, but that one's pretty uh, pretty straightforward. I think you have a chance to lock Kawhi Leonard up. He wants to stay. You got a new arena opening and uh, everything's going as well as it has. That's uh, that's about as smooth as one of those goes, right? I mean, the timing of this is, that, you know, I guess just surprising that it just emerges on a random Wednesday in the NBA. And, you know, aren't they about to play your Raptors? Is, yep. Know, I guess we could... I guess we could, you know, cynically start throwing out some conspiracy theories that that's why it was, was today, even though I would never do such a thing, so I didn't say it. Um, no, but look, the Clippers are moving into a new arena next season, and you know they did not want to go into that arena. They don't want to go into that arena without stars. So, look, James Harden, the trade has been an absolute boost for them after so many of us thought, so many of us questioned it, and so many of us doubted that it would really make a difference. The Clippers have been the hottest team in the league. 
They won 14 in a row with Kawhi in uniform until that narrow loss to the Lakers on Sunday night when Norm Powell almost forced OT with that running three in the corner. And so the Clippers have been scalding hot on the floor, and now they get an extension done with Kawhi that seemingly comes out of the blue, and presumably they will be able to do the same with Paul George. That would certainly, you'd have to think, that certainly is the goal now. And they can't extend Harden in season. That has to wait until the off season. But as well as things have gone with the three of them, as dangerous as the Clippers have looked with this new trio, you have to think that they're going to sign both Paul George and James Harden as well and go into the new Intuit Dome, I believe is what it is called. And uh, they will have their star trio with Steve Ballmer. He's on that rare list of, he's in that rare club of NBA owners who does not care about the luxury tax or the new second apron and how daunting it's supposed to be for teams to have more than two max players. Yeah, the Clippers, uh, they're just behind the Golden State Warriors at $200 million for payroll this year. $200 million. The The Warriors are two hundred and eight. Um but, yeah, they got to be happy with what they got. Actually, last thing, Mark, I just wanted to, to ask, because uh, this was interesting to me. You, you're reporting that the Bulls obviously have Zach Levine, and they want to try to see if there's a trade out there possible for him. But contrary to the idea of trading a star, the Bulls still want to remain competitive. Can you tell us more about what the Bulls' approach is here? Well, all accounts to this point is that, yeah, they don't want, you know, I think the assumption was that it wouldn't just be Zach Levine, right. that they would also consider trade for DeRozan and Nikola Vucevic, but Caruso really, but all the signals out of Chicago have been that, you know, yes, Zach Levine's available, but no trade partner has really emerged there. And so I think that's, you know, I think again, it'll be wait and see. I mean, it's easy to take, it's easy to, it's easy to have these kind of stances and treat them as absolutes, but you know, we're now a month away from the trade deadline, but then there is the the one, I think what you're getting at is they do also have this option if they wanted to, to try to use Lonzo ball contract as a something they could use in trade because a team trading for Lonzo Ball's contract would inherit the insurance payments that the bulls are currently getting. But that, of course, would require the Bulls to add payroll, and that's something we know that they're not exactly known for. So uh, we'll, see if, we'll see if that actually gets explored. Fair enough. Mark Stein, appreciate you. Appreciate all your time. And, uh, yeah, we'll call you next week, I think. <laughs> Gentlemen, have a great week. All right, Mark Stein. Appreciate it, man. Yeah. Great Substack, great uh, no, great trio of uh, of stuff. newsletters this week. Yeah, and like lots of li- lots of little stats from Jessica Baco and, and lots of trade stuff, uh, of course. So uh, it is that time of year. It's only going to pick up from here with the, the yeah. trade nonsense. I was going to so. say it was interesting because I was, I was listening to explain the answer, and I was like, this is peak like posturing season. Mm-hmm. It's a month before the deadline, and yeah, the Raptors jumped out and, and, and flipped OG, which is incredibly rare. Like we almost yeah, never yeah. see trades in December. But even like like Jake Fisher was on the JD Bunkus podcast this morning on, on Sports F five ninety, and he said basically like, yeah, acknowledging this stuff that's out there about the Kings walking away or whatever, yeah. and like. Nobody believes that yeah. anyone has walked away from anything, really. There's a lot of time left. Exactly. There's a month to go. There's going to be a lot of posturing on both sides. And, yeah, I mean, you know, we'll see what the conversations look like when they actually make the phone calls 
hours before the deadline and what deals are ultimately made. But um, I guess the purpose of the daily show is that we get to swing wildly with every Pascal report, which seems to come out every single day now, by the way. Is there is there a reporter in Canada or the U.S. that doesn't have a direct line to this uh, potential trade? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Lawrence Frank going to leak some this. stuff tonight just to mess with the Raptors. He no, hasn't honestly, done enough. Lawrence Frank might be the only guy I dislike more than uh, – <laughs> more ben than Taylor? Ben Taylor at the yeah. moment. But we're going to take a quick break, our last break. I've been your host, Willow. You've been listening to The Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Big guests and bigger opinions on everything happening in Leafsland. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptors show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I'm your host, Wayne Blue. Continue to be joined by co-host Blake Murphy. And uh, prior to the show today, I was able to uh, get a sit-down interview with uh, one of the Raptors, Wayne and Teresa Embry Fellowship um, Fellows. Uh, his name is Greg Ho. Uh, I've seen him around the arena quite a bit and got to know him just a, a little bit. But uh, um, over the course of this conversation, we, we, we just discussed a lot more about what the fellowship is and uh yeah i mean i mentioned it in the interview itself too but application process is open because you know if you ever wanted to essentially get an internship to do i don't know coaching uh sports science um scouting you know pr game ops like it, it it pretty much immerses you in what it's like to work in the business of basketball so and a lot of the people who not not only the winners but the people who've been finalists have gone on to work for the team or, or yeah. around basketball um will rooney who was a 905 coach for a little bit jose cedro who mm-hmm. uh, is a, a international scout for Yo, for t- the Raptors. jose man i missed you in montreal by the way yeah um andrew uh savory i think is how you say his last name who's like uh, does vancouver bandit stuff there's mm-hmm. just there's, there's, there are a lot of success stories like that in addition to then like Obviously, the headline wants like Noah Lewis. Oh, we'll, we'll get to Noah Lewis, uh, who I have brought up many times on this program now. But anyway, this is an interview uh, with Greg. Joining us today is current Wayne and Teresa Embry fellow, Greg Ho, who is currently working with the Raptors. He's here to talk about the fellowship. Uh, Greg, how are you doing? Good, thanks. Thanks for having me, Will. Of course, of course, anytime. So before we get into this conversation, I just want to give some context around uh, the fellowship that you're currently in. The Wayne and Teresa Embry Fellowship provides two Canadians with the opportunity to gain firsthand experience in a professional basketball environment over the course of a full NBA season. The Raptors commit to providing at least one of the fellowship opportunities to an individual who identifies as part of a marginalized and or racialized group. This program not only has created opportunities for coaches and scouts working for the Raptors right now, but uh, it's done so for people who have moved on to different NBA organizations as well. And just in general, it's it's, it's an awesome and really, really cherished uh, jumping off point for anybody who is looking to enter, um, you know, professional sports and, and find ways to to work in the, in the program. So Greg, I want to ask you about your fellowship. What have you done so far and uh, what else is to come for you? Yeah, thank you for the introduction. Um, so the fellowship is in its seventh year. Nilu and I are the eighth and ninth fellows. And as you said, there's past fellows who are all across the league, Memphis, Philly, Toronto, um, NBA league-wide, MLSE. Um, and I think to summarize the fellowship before we kind of get into the nitty gritty, 
Uh, I really like a quote that Mr. Embry said in his book, and it's always seize the opportunity to learn from people who have been places you have not. And I think that really summarizes the fellowship. It lets you work in all the different departments. Um, so coaching, scouting, medical, and it really gives you an opportunity to learn from those who have been working in Europe, working in college ranks, working around the NBA. And it's a really great starting point for those um, jumpstarting their MBA career. So I'm medical, um, sports science specifically. So I work cl closely with our performance team, trying to keep our guys healthy on the court. And then if an injury occurs, helping them return as safely and as quickly as possible. Okay, that's, that's awesome. So um, in terms of people that you might have heard of, in terms of people listening to the show right now, um, I'm assuming you work closely with Alex McKechnie, who clearly is a legend, um, obviously worked with the Lakers, multiple rings, worked with like Kobe and Shaq. Um, and of course, he came up with the infamous load management program, which helped keep Kawhi Leonard healthy uh, for the championship season. And we all know how that ended. Um, I'm assuming you work a lot with Alex. Yep, that's right. Alex is our group lead. So we have weekly meetings where we're always discussing how the players are doing and then different bits of information. Um, and it's a really great opportunity. You can pop into his office at any time, pick his brain. As you said, he has a wealth of information and experience, and he's more than happy to share it. And that goes with any department. Um, when I was on my coaching rotation, I was in the actual coaching meetings, mm. and they're very open to talking about their ideas in front of you, whether it's a scout, whether it's going over game analytics. Um, they're more than happy to have you in there and then also willing to ask you for your opinion on things if you see something or if you have a past experience that might help them in some way. So I want to be careful here because um, I'm not trying to get you in trouble at all. This is not that kind of interview where I'm trying to get you to reveal industry secrets. And I know you're too smart to give me those anyway, but I just wanted to ask about, so you mentioned working in uh, the coaching uh, side of things, you're getting a chance to work in uh, the area that you want to do in the sports science and the, what, are those programs like can you can you detail some of the things that the organization puts into keeping athletes prepared both mentally and physically to to perform at the highest level um i think the biggest thing is relationship building okay. because you can be the best at making reports you can provide the best medical coverage but the trust needs to be there from the athlete and then also the support staff so i think that's the biggest thing um on our end obviously there's reports we do after all the games it's you know, as expected, it's a league-wide practice. And then it's important to be able to communicate those um, results and trends with the coaching staff with front office so that they have a better understanding of what's going on on the court from a physical perspective and then what we can do to kind of support the athletes. Um, we'll move on to the, the coaching side of things. Um, what, what did you take away from working with, uh, with Darko and, and just getting to, you know, be part of those coaching meetings, as you say? Yeah, they're a great staff, first and foremost. Um, every assistant coach, uh, development coach, they're very open to having you on the court, whether it's rebounding, helping with drills, um, or even in the meetings, they're willing to teach you and explain to you what they're talking about. And then from our performance side, when we go into those meetings and talk about those trends, they're very open to listening and asking questions, trying to learn the terminology that we use and mm. get a better understanding of what we're demonstrating them. Okay. Fair enough. Um, so for a lot of people who want to get into this opportunity, because you're you're probably going to get even more chances to work in different aspects of of the Raptors organization, if I'm not mistaken. But this is something that I'm sure a lot of people, especially younger people who are coming out of school or 
coming out of, you know, I mean, I, I, I'm not sure how old you are, but I, I did see a picture of you as a child standing beside DeMar DeRozan. <laughs> so I assume that you're in your 20s. Um, yeah, like for a lot of young people looking to find an opportunity, this is obviously just a dream thing. So take me through the application process. Uh, what was that like? How did you ultimately like get mm -hmm. this position? Because I imagine this thing is super competitive. Yeah, so I've known about the fellowship for a while now. Uh, as we discussed, it's in its seventh year. So after finishing school, I just thought it was a good opportunity to try to join the NBA, try to help a team that I've always supported and in an area that I think is growing around the league. So the application process opened on January 5th this year, and it's going to close February 15th. Um, and the first step is a two-minute video where you talk about yourself. Mr. Embry has a philosophy called his eight Ps. So those include things like purpose, pride, passion, perseverance. And you demonstrate how you've exemplified his eight Ps throughout your life and your career. That's the first step. That's the two-minute video. Um, you also have an essay component. And obviously the resume submission, that's the first round. Then after that, they'll bring in the finalists for some interviews in person and also another presentation where you talk about how you'd be able to best uh, support the team. So tell me about your two-minute video. Like, how do you demonstrate all the things in just two minutes? Like, did you do something creative? Was that, like, true from the heart? Like, what did you do for those two minutes? Yeah, I just told my story and tried to exemplify how I'd, um, I guess, demonstrated all those qualities. So talking about returning from my own personal injury, how that shaped the way I view sports science or how basketball has helped me gain a better perception of like how international it is, how important it is to the global community, how it has an ability to transform people's lives um, on and off the court. And I think, yeah, that was, a, it was honestly hard to only talk for two minutes. There's a lot of things to talk about those eight Ps. Um, but that's my video and all the videos are available on our website. So you can see all the past finalists videos and how they talked about themselves, their different journeys. That I think that's hugely helpful to everybody who is looking to try to apply to this. Um, and I had some more, two more questions about this before I, I had some surprise ones for you. Um, but what's the one thing so far from this program that you've done that you feel like super, super proud of yourself in being able to take place in it or uh, deliver in the way that, uh, you know, the task asked of you. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm going to focus on my area, which is sports science mm -hmm. and helping the team build out their platform and how they structure it um, with a new coaching staff. Obviously you're going to have changes and being able to support them, whether reports, whether data collection, um, whether it's building relationships with players, I think I'm really proud of myself and how I've able to been able to contribute there and then also develop my skills. Fair enough. Um, and then the other question I had was, and you mentioned this earlier, but this is a common talking point when you, um, you know, have conversations with people who work in basketball, whether that's on the team side, on the agency side, on, you know, coaching side, whatever it is. Um, everyone talks about the importance of people's skills, how much it is um, about who you are when you come to work, who you, what kind of energy you bring to the group, and specifically how you bring that to the players themselves, because that's obviously the most important piece of all of this. Um, what's the biggest lesson that you've learned in terms of the importance of people skills? I think the biggest thing is just being open, showing that you're available and you're there to support them. Um, it's interesting because within the organization, you have some groups who are always 
giving to the players mm-hmm. and then some groups who are asking a little bit more of the players. So within medical, I guess, sports science, we're asking a little bit more of them, whether it's to do testing, whether it's to wear some wearables. So it's really important to build that rapport with them to show that you care about them as a person, as opposed to just asking for things, you know, do this test for me, wear this for me, tell me how you're feeling. Um, So I think always learning the players' backgrounds helps them build a connection and a trust with you. Is there an example that you can share with us in terms of like a player that you've really gotten closer to um, and how that's helped your side of things? Yeah, I won't name specific players, but I think in my past experience, the game of soccer is the real unifying force. There's a lot of players, um, especially those who are international. Um, they really like soccer. So if we just talk about our favorite club teams mm. in the little time we have, um, you know, it's friendly banter if their team beats mine, if their team has a bad loss. And then it helps you build a good relationship with them because it's not just, hey, you had a great game. Good job. It's, oh, I actually like care about you as a person and we have a similar interest. So we're able to discuss that. And then when I want to educate you on sports science or I want to ask how you're doing, you know that I actually genuinely care about you. That's true. It's the small little details. And, and and all these athletes are asked so many things. And it's always about sort of how they perform that I'm, I'm sure they do actually really appreciate when you get back to them on a personal level as well. Um, I, I'm, I'm just going to guess that that was Pascal that you were talking about. But, you know, there's also lots of soccer fans on the team. Uh, you know, Christian Coloco, for example, I think Otto is a Barcelona fan or something. Yeah. Anyway, um, let's move on to uh, just some actual specific questions uh, that I thought of uh, in terms of, you know, just seeing you work and, and the things you do. So um, one thing I always get interested in is I, I, I'm always there before the game. I like to watch warmups and uh, the Raptors have done this thing and, and you've the one you're the one who usually runs this. There's these like pads that are on the ground. And after the player is done their shooting workout, they come over to you and then they just like do like a, a standing jump on this pad. Can you just explain to me? This is pure curiosity for me. What is this measuring? And, and, and um, yeah, what, what is what is this that they're doing? Yeah, so that's called a force play jump. And the specific one is a counter movement jump. The idea is it's a readiness test. Um, to see their fatigue levels, to see asymmetry between right and left legs. Um, and then we're just tracking that over the season. It's a pretty standard process. Um, not more than that. A lot of teams do it. Um, Kevin Durant and Phoenix do it. They're pretty famous for it. Washington does it. Um, yeah, it's just a readiness test. Got you. Got you. Um, in terms of like the wearables and things like that, what are, what are the NBA rules around like what players can, you know, do to wear and also what teams can mandate to be worn on the court? Mm-hmm. Um, well, per the CBA, it's players have the ability to choose. Okay. So there's none worn during the games. And then teams will vary it during practices how much they want based on what they see fit. Got you. Got you. Um, all right. On the personal side, is there a moment this year that you've been like starstruck by? You know, you're like, wow, I can't believe I'm right here or I can't believe I'm in front of this person or I can't believe I'm in front of this player. Is, is Have you had one of those moments yet? Uh, I try not to have those. I think it makes it hard to be professional like that. But I think an early moment was definitely Summer League. Uh-huh. Going to Summer League, seeing all the legends, seeing all the players in the hotel, just walking around as if they're regular people. That was one of those moments. It was like, wow, you're, you're here, you're in it. Um, and it's really rare to have that opportunity as like a basketball fan, as now working professional to be in that space where every team is in the same place. All the players are there, all the staff are there. Really cool opportunity. 
Um, and then the, the last question I had. So um, I was I was I stayed behind after a shoot around one time um, after the media session was over, and I got to watch the 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 get ready games, the stay ready games. Essentially, it's the third stringers who typically don't get as much game action, and they'll get in a run against each other, and also with some assistant coaches sprinkled in there. And one of my takeaways from watching that session was just, wow, Noah Lewis can really hoop. Um, I think he he made at least three baskets from what I saw, um, contested threes. And so Noah Lewis, the reason I'm bringing this up is because he's also a former fellow. Um, I just need you to confirm that Noah Lewis is a pure hooper for me. Yeah, Noah Lewis is a bucket. <laughs> there no you doubt. go. He can hang in there. There you go, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm serious, man. This is not like an advertisement or anything. I, I need to talk to Noah about it too because uh, – I have brought his name up a few times now, but uh, yeah, yeah. well, <laughs> Greg, I appreciate you for joining us on the show. So once again, I just want to reiterate what you said as well earlier, but uh, the 2024 application process uh, launched on January 5th and will close on February 15th. You can apply at fellowship.raptors.com. Applicants will be asked to submit a formal res- a formal resume and a two-minute video as you mentioned uh you can go find some of those two-minute applications as well so you get a sense of uh i guess what works and and sort of what to do um and of course you can follow at raptors fellow on instagram for past and current experiences you can also find again this 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 photo of you as a child uh beside ed davis and demar Derozan, uh which was posted and i thought this was legendary maybe this is the last question i ask you just um did you have a favorite Raptor from back in the day? Because, you know, RJ has rejoined the team, and he's talked so much about, you know, back in the day, I watched, like, Sonny Weems, and, um, you know, I, I watched, like, Jose Calderon. Was there, like, a like a favorite Raptor of yours growing up that's, like, a deep cut? Um, there's a lot. I had this history. I'd buy the jersey, and then the player would get traded. I bought a Jermaine O'Neal jersey shortly after, shortly before he was traded to Miami. Uh, so I just had bad luck with that. I think a uh, favorite was probably Chris Bosh. He was kind of the franchise player, and he seemed like a good character on and off the court. So he was someone I gravitated to. Yeah. All right. That's a good pick. All right, Greg, I appreciate you and uh, looking forward to running into you at the arena. Thank you, Will. Appreciate you. There you go. Official confirmation. Noah Lewis is a bucket. There you go. Yeah. Um it's a it, it's cool. It's a fun interview, and then people can go to fellowship.raptors.com yeah. right now. It's the Wayne and Teresa Embry Fellowship. It's a it's a tremendous thing to do to, um, you know, just pass on everything that Wayne and Teresa had and have done mm-hmm. uh, for the Raptors organization and for basketball. Um, but it's been cool to track these people and where they end up. You know, whether it's with the Raptors or, or just around yeah. basketball, you always run into them at summer league and things like that. So. It's uh, it's really cool. People get get your uh, get your applications in. No, it's, it's funny. Uh, fellowship.raptors.com. Yes, exactly. Um, no, it's funny because you you meet them and you're like, oh, you're 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 new around here. You're an intern, and then like three years later, like, yeah, we can't talk to you at all, man. We in the front office. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, these these you know two weeks, about. these two weeks, I'm with the 905, so I can talk to you. These two weeks, I'm with the analytics department, so yeah. it's it's uh, it's quiet. Um, speaking of analytics. Mm. Thad Young, monster plus game yesterday. Yeah. Thaddy plus Young, as we're uh, we're not going to call him because that did what? not that did not well Thaddy yes Young Thaddy plus Young. Uh, okay. It didn't roll off All the right. tongue as well as it looked in text. Uh, it's Goodness. time now for between the lines. Brought That's to you your by Bet Rivers. Yakovich moment. <laughs> Brought to you by Bet Rivers. Take a chance. Uh, so Raptors obviously yeah. on the second night of a back to back here. Uh, they're nine and a half point dogs. Jakob Pertle, Otto Porter. Uh, still out. Christian Cologo still out. Grady still with the 905. On the Clippers side, 
not only did they not play last night, uh, they only have Musa Diabate on their injury report. So they're good to go. My big question for you heading into this one will beyond just them being nine and a half point dogs. Thad Young did, I mean, we have to appreciate what he did yesterday. Oh, 100%. He if, put if it all feeling, on the line, man. Yeah, uh, diving for loose balls, coming up with steals that, that go end-to-end end that have Scotty Barnes, like, yelling at him after, mm-hmm. like, I can't believe yeah, you yeah. did that. I can't say what Scotty actually said and got picked <laughs> up by some of the arena mics, uh, but it was pretty funny. Um, as for tonight, though, the Clippers are also large all around the court. They have Avika Zubac at center. Thad Young played 29 minutes last night. He played 34 minutes total mm. this season prior to that. Um, he's not on the injury report, so he's good to go. Are you running this back with, with that at center, even against the more, you know, not – Zubac is, is big. Anthony Davis was big too. But with them, you have to more, worry more about the pick and roll play and the switching, the dynamic passing. This is more of a an interior-oriented, like, roll man and finisher at the rim. Are you changing much? Or are you kind of running back what what – was at least moderately effective yesterday. I think they're going to run that back. Um, one thing that was interesting to me was how stagnant the ball movement was to start the game, and it made me really appreciate that, you know, Jakob is in the game a lot to swing the ball side to side, keep it in the post, redirect the offense, and then most importantly to screen for the ball and create at least gaps for guys to attack. And you just didn't see nearly as much of that to start the game yesterday. And that is your best, like, ball-moving front court player, Clearly, there's just a deficit in the roster. Like, this is more of a, you know, team build weakness by the Raptors who don't really have uh, depth at this position. You know, there's teams like Miami, for example, that have, like, four centers on the roster. But, like... There's always another Haywood Highsmith. I I know he's only, like, 6'7", 6'8", but they could just bounce him there if they need to. But, anyway, in in any case, you're in this scenario. Thad did well enough yesterday. And, and like, I'm just going to choose to appreciate anything he gives us as a bonus. Um, But he, he played hard. I think the difficulty is, like... Okay, now James Harden's like seeking out for ISOs. Kawhi and Paul George seeking out for ISOs. Clippers do have that type of team, and we'll see how they adapt. The Raptors can always go smaller, which they probably will at certain points with two point guard lineups with Dennis and IQ or Gary and IQ. But and, and that's how they start, were. Yeah. That's how they were set to close before quickly fouled out last night, and that's right. what brought Thad Young back in the game. Now Thad Young was at the table, so I don't know. Maybe he was coming in for someone else anyway. But their their hand right. kind of got forced anyway. And, and that's the thing for Darko. It's like this is a real like coaching challenge where you're gonna have to tap dance a little bit because he took that out the game for a while because Austin Reeves was hunting him on pick and rolls. You'll, if, I mean, if Austin Reeves is hunting for pick and rolls, uh, these other Clipper guys will be hunting for pick and rolls too. But um, yeah, salute to Thad, man. I mean, again, he's been literally playing against Noah Lewis for like the bulk of the year, and now he's coming in here and playing against Anthony Davis. And he did a decent job, so um, salute to the old Wiley pro. Yeah, plus seven in those uh, four assists and three steals also. It, so it wasn't just like, he yeah. He took a charge? Was, yeah, like, it was good on. stuff. Um, so Thad played 29 minutes, Jonathan Porter played 10, and so Scotty Barnes played nine minutes effectively as the center. Uh, we've only got a couple of seconds left here, but uh, would you like to see a little bit more of those Scotty at the five looks, or is this not the matchup for it? Second night of a back-to-back, he played 40 minutes, and it's Zubats. I don't mind it against the Clippers bench. Like, who are they bringing out their bench? Daniel Tice? Yeah. You know? Shouts to Daniel Tice. Big reunion with uh, Dennis Schroeder today there as well. The game Dennis Schroeder has a reunion with every player in the league, man. Yeah, he's he's got to be up there for most teammates played with. Yeah, for sure. But, um, yeah, I mean, unfortunately, the Raptors are in real tough here. Then the line is really big. I think the Raptors might keep it closer than nine and a half, but I, I have very little expectation that they'll actually win this game. But but who knows? Maybe there's enough pressure on the officials and the Raptors shoot, like, <laughs> 40 free throws today. That'd be nice. Yeah, Kawhi celebrating the uh, the new extension. Obviously, Kawhi, uh, a big celebrator. That was Between the Lines brought to you by Bet Rivers. Take a chance. Take a chance. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, there's a lot of fishing talk, Blake, and I know that that's not your favorite subject, but I, I appreciate re- you going there. I have I appreciate refreshed it. Look, a, li- a night like last night, it absolutely warrants talking mm-hmm. about it. Just, you know, it's it's something you can't control. Yeah. So to analyze can, can be a little tough, but I have refreshed the last two-minute report page like 30 times during this yeah. show. They're ducking us. They didn't want it while we were on air. Wow. I mean, it wouldn't have changed anything. Tony Brothers tonight, by the way. Amazing. That does it for us today. I'm your host, Willow. You've been listening to The Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Uh, We'll be back to talk to you tomorrow.